Hello and welcome to the Two Dudes in a Football NFL podcast, coming at you live from the Browns Quarterback Regional Hospital. I'm Nelson Thielen. And I'm Rob Davis. And we're coming at you with our breakdown of all the Week 5 action. But first, we just want to talk about our social media real quick. You can follow us on Twitter, at Two Dudes Football. That's at the number two, Dudes Football. And uh, find us on Facebook at Two Dudes in a Football NFL Podcast. Uh, we also love uh, any five-star reviews that we have. And so if you uh, go on iTunes and you write us a five-star review, then we will gladly read it on the air, just like we have in the past. Haven't had any in a while, though, so we would love some more reviews. You can get on the air super quickly. Uh, Rob, uh, but let's talk about uh, week five in the NFL. Pretty good week. Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. Um, I feel like a lot of these games went as expected, even though we kind of picked some potential upsets. Yeah, and I thought what was interesting is, you know, like the blowout factor wasn't really here this week in the NFL. No, where like you've had the last few weeks, there's been at least a few teams that have totally laid an egg. I think in this one, it was pretty competitive. I um, mean, Cleveland lays an egg every week. Does that count as a... <laughs> well, actually, you know, when you look at Cleveland, this is the first time that I honestly think you can say this season that they laid an egg. I think they, for the most part, they've been, I don't know, at least competitive in all the games that they've lost. They've lost all of them, but they've tried. But, you know, bless their heart, they had to deal Participation with Participation awards will be coming to you, <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> Anyways, so let's uh, let's dig right in though. Let's go let's go to Thursday night football where uh, where the Arizona Cardinals, in kind of a desperate spot, looking to get their season back on track, went to San Francisco on a short week with Drew Stanton at quarterback, and somehow they pulled off the win. Rob, tell me what you saw in this game. So first off, uh, the whole entire Arizona team should go and get. Larry Fitzgerald and Calais Campbell, something real shiny because those guys are the reason why this game looks the way it does. Don't let the score fool you. It wasn't a two-score game. It really wasn't. Uh, The first thing that came to mind was when I was watching this game, I was really excited because obviously David Johnson, you and I both know we love David Johnson. He's he's, he's top three in the league at running back at the position as a whole. I think he's number one. That, that belongs to the guy in Pittsburgh, you know, if he can just lay off the weed, Le'Veon. Um, but, and Carlos Hyde obviously was highly touted coming out of Ohio State, and he he's proven that he can be that bell cow if this team can ever get back to the promised land. Uh, the, well, the thing is, the real thing about this game was Larry Fitzgerald's show, this may be his last year, but Larry Fitzgerald can still get it done. Uh, his first touchdown... He was, you know, he makes a nice catch. He gets in the end zone. But his second one, he, I mean, he juked the corner out of his shoes. I mean, just did like a, he did a fake like zigzag deep pattern and he just cut back outside and the corner was just, just wasn't ready for it. And Larry just kind of catches it all nice and calm and just kind of jogs into the end zone. Yeah, I really put him on a clinic for uh, route running. Um, But with that being said, the thing is, is I feel like Arizona just, um, kind of came into this season kind of like how the 2013 Saints did where they had the number two offense and the number four defense just like Arizona did last year actually and they kind of came in drinking the Kool-Aid from the media like you know oh we, we're gonna be perennial contenders we've upgraded we haven't lost anybody that was important like we're, we're ready for this year and they're kind of falling off a cliff and I think that's the same thing with the Saints um, now I don't follow the schemes as much I know that they run like exotic 3-4 in Arizona but Keep in mind, San Francisco is the third worst team in the NFL. The only two teams that I would say are worse than um, San Francisco, excuse me, not Arizona, is uh, Cleveland and Miami. So when we look at this game, even though it's a divisional rivalry game, 
Arizona is still head and shoulders more talented than this team, and the talent showed up. Yeah, but I think this was, you know, we talked about this as like kind of our concerns for the Cardinals and how we were really worried about like if they didn't get things back on track quickly, that they were going to get buried in this division. This was a desperation game. And going into this with Drew Stan at quarterback, who by the looks of it, other than his two touchdowns to Fitzgerald's, was pretty abysmal. Uh, a 32 QBR. I'm not a QBR guy, but that's terrible. 4.4 yards per attempt. That was lower than David Johnson's rushing average. You know, like, pretty, pretty awful. And then on the other side, granted, I don't think Blaine Gabbert was much better. I think this is possibly the worst quarterback game on both sides that we'll see all season. And lucky us that we got to see it in primetime. But, you know, still, I just think, you know, when you look at Arizona, they just had to get this win. And I think it really showed up, especially on defense. I think they really played hard and I think they really played tough and I think they just they were refusing to lose and they really needed a dominant win to kind of get back on track Um, because if they had lost this game then all of a sudden I think then you're looking at you know like what do they do is the season lost because from one in four I, I I think you're buried especially when you look at you know like the the records of the Rams and the Seahawks yeah and, and I, I definitely agree with you on that um the thing to keep in mind though is Arizona you know Arizona is like I said they're supremely more talented against a San Francisco team where you can only name what maybe two guys that you wouldn't mind having on your team pretty much and that doesn't include injured Navarro Bowman which sucks sorry Navarro um but with that being said you're right Arizona needed this win but I mean, it, was, it wasn't really that big of a surprise. I don't even think they were that surprised because I even feel like teams around the NFL look at like San Francisco and Cleveland and they're like, this game, this this should be a win. You know what I mean? Like, come on, guys, really? I but think, um, what yeah. I, the most impressive play to me was – so I don't remember what play it was, but I think it was third down and Blaine Gabbert drops back and throws a pass across the middle and one of the linemen put their hands up, tips it straight in the air, and Clayus Campbell comes down with it. And then later on in the game, when the game was pretty much over, I mean, it, San Francisco had to make a drive and they were deep in their own, like, you know, they were deep in their own red zone and safety, like really San Fran, well, you know, Gabbert, you got to get rid of that ball, man. You're trying to win this game and that's what you do, but I t- I that's to be expected from a team like the Niners. You know what I mean? Do you think there's any chance that they bench Gabbert going into next week? Oh, yeah. I, well, I, I don't see – see, San Francisco's in a situation where they, they knew they weren't going to be serious contenders this year. You're, it's just – it's the same thing with like Miami, which I don't understand why they're not doing this. They're in a situation where they don't have a quarterback who is willing them to wins, obviously, because you have Blaine Gabbert at quarterback. You've got Colin Kaepernick who – hasn't proven he could put the team on his back and win unless he's playing the Packers for some reason. And, you know, Christian Ponder, who's been out of the league for two years and, you know, latched on as the third-string quarterback. So they're kind of in a situation where it's like, why don't you see everything you have and Chip Kelly, why don't you evaluate every single position that you have? Nobody's job should be safe because you don't know what the backups are capable of because they don't have game time. So let every single player play, see what you have, and then come draft time, you can draft appropriately. So I think I think Ponder's going to start a few times this year. I think Cap starts a few times this year. Yeah, and I I think especially after I think now we know what playing Gabbard is, and he's not good, and it's just confirmed that he is not good, and we need to just 
take that and just, okay, we can check that box. Now let's see if Colin Kaepernick's got anything left in the tank. And we still haven't seen Colin Kaepernick operate in a Chip Kelly offense. And, and I think that'll be, yeah, like everyone kind of thought that that was going to be kind of a match made in heaven. And I, I don't know, uh, could it be at least more productive than the Gabbert-led Niners have been? Probably. I don't know if any quarterback is going to be exactly prolific when Jeremy Curley is their leading receiver. But <laughs> that being said, you know, like, could could this work out um, better with camp? Maybe. And uh, who knows? Ponder had a really good preseason. So you never know. But uh, still, uh, I, I think I think for the most part, uh, you know, like if I'm a San Francisco fan, I'm, I'm done with Gabbert. Let's just see what we have and let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I mean, I don't think there's really the, you can't look at this team and think, oh, man, these guys are going to be contending even for you know, the only thing they're contending for is third place with St. Louis because St. Louis will fall off shortly. Uh, that's true. That's true. But uh, or, or L.A., excuse me. Excuse me. L.A. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Bless their hearts. Uh, anyways, uh, but just like the San Francisco 49ers need to move on, we're also going to move on. And uh, what's our next game, Rob? Uh, we've got Cleveland and New... Okay, really? Do we need to Do we need to discuss this game? I mean, you want to talk about how handsome Brady is? Uh, I'm not only going to talk about how handsome Brady is. I'm going to talk about how good Brady is at football and how awesome it is to see him on the football field. They had three guys throw the ball in Cleveland last week. <laughs> okay, that's how you know you have problems. Well, first off, you, you know, like it, lo- it looks like Cody Kessler is going to be able to play this next week, which is good because he, I actually think, has been kind of, you know, like a little bit of a surprise for Cleveland Browns fans. And I think that he's not bad and maybe maybe they could have something there and he definitely makes them more watchable than when charlie whitehurst is starting um so that's good uh but let's not bury the lead here uh ladies and gentlemen he's back and granted it's against the cleveland browns but brady looked to be in 100 percent midseason form this was kind of a name-your-score game for the Patriots. The Patriots came into this game, and if they wanted to rack up 50 on Cleveland, they probably could have. But they, uh, you know, Brady looked awesome from start to finish, and he was sharp. He, uh, you know, and I think it helps that, you know, I think this offense is legitimately really, really talented. I think the story of the game is that the Patriots have – their combination of tight ends back that they have had back in the Gronk Hernandez days where all of a sudden you still have Gronk who looks awesome and is finally healthy again. And I think he's starting to finally draw those double teams and starting to really be respected as a receiver now, now that he's coming back from that injury. And meanwhile, that's leaving everything wide open for Martellus Bennett and the versatility that that two tight end offense has when you've got both guys that are so legitimate at receiver but also can block gives your offense just that extra dimension that makes it so hard to defend. Yeah, and, and I think that the the blocking part is what's so important because that can be that's legit blocking, or it's strictly an illusion. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was going back to what you said with the Hernandez thing. When they lined up Gronk and Hernandez, you didn't like you know if they're in a two tight end set, and any other team in the league, nine out of ten times they're running the ball. But in New England. You don't know. You know what I mean? You can't put four linebackers on the field with those guys. You exactly. Can't. You just know. And, that's, and, you, and the thing is, it's dangerous covering either of those two guys with a linebacker because I, there aren't many linebackers in the league that have the athleticism to keep up with Martellus or Gronk. And so 
you have that and then you combine that with 7-Eleven Chris Hogan making a bunch of you know like really long catches and you know like Julian Edelman is still a really really nice player even though he had kind of a quiet day but this is a this is a really really potent offense and now that they have their general back at the helm uh this team is I I think they have to be in the top three probably in the league possibly possibly the best team in the league now that Brady's back and I just don't and you know even though it looks like the the defense has been up and down this year when you look at the way that they are in all three phases this New England team looks nigh unstoppable and uh you know one thing you know just real quick you know like Brady has a reputation of kind of being you know kind of your west coast style quarterback where it's a lot of dink and duck a lot of rhythm passing a lot of uh you know short passes kind of getting your guys in space uh, but he was going downfield with authority on Sunday and uh, a couple deep balls to Hogan, uh, a couple deep balls to uh, like one really nice deep ball to Martellus Bennett. You're like just showing that he's not afraid to, you know, he got outside the pocket, stepped up and threw it deep a few times. Like he came out, he looked pissed off and he looked ready to play. And, you know, he said after the game that he thought that there was some rust on. I didn't see it. The only rest I saw on that field was the team in the rust colored jerseys playing for Cleveland. And, uh, you know, like it was just a, it was a really impressive performance. Do you know where Chris Hogan got the nickname seven 11 though? <laughs> Back in Buffalo. No, no, no. He got it in Miami. Actually, it was during hard knocks. One of the DBs gave it to him. I think it was, uh, Sean Smith. And they're like, yeah, like we call him seven 11. And it's like, because he's always open. And then later on in that episode, the coaches cut him because he couldn't get open during the game. It was only during practice. Well, he's uh, he's getting open now. And yeah, he looks- he's a great fit for that offense. It's quick misdirection, like you know, like you're saying, because they run the, the what is it, the Bernicke Wits or whatever it's called, offense where it's a lot of play action. But yeah, it's it's those short and intermediate passes. And of course, a guy like Chris Hogan's going to thrive. But yeah, you're right. Brady was throwing down deep more, but. They also were wide open for the most part. It is Cleveland. When they go up against a team like, you know, Seattle, Denver, or like I know Cincinnati looks bad, but even a game against Cincinnati, I think, is a really good gauge for if Brady's truly back or not, let alone teams like Minnesota or or Houston with a healthy J.J. Watt. Well, and that's true. And, you know, like we're used to seeing normally the Patriots and Brady take a few games to get rolling in the season. So the Patriots uh, don't have any time really for Brady to – Kind of, uh, I don't know. Find yes, his they do. They're the four and one. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, touche, touche. Because of how well they did during the Brady list stretch, that's fine. But you're in midseason, and you kind of need a quarterback in midseason form. And so, yeah, like, it, you know, they need to kind of make sure that they, you know, have him firing at all cylinders as soon as possible. But he certainly looked like that. And you know, God hates Cleveland quarterbacks, and. uh we're really sorry, Browns fans. Uh, you know, there really shouldn't be a scenario where Charlie Whitehurst is starting for your team, but unfortunately, that played out uh, today. And I, I hope Kessler can come back, but uh, it's interesting. There was a report coming out of Cleveland after the game that I thought was really fascinating where apparently, you know, like uh, this reporter had talked to one of the executives on the Cleveland Browns, and they said that basically, like, they were willing to trade anyone on the team. No one was safe except... For Terrell Pryor, which is fascinating that they view that basically like unless you're in your their rookie class or you're Terrell Pryor, your job is not safe, which, you know, I guess 
that's not that hard to say when you've got you know maybe two All Pros on that team that they're talking about possibly Are trading. We considering Joe Hayden an All Pro. He's been one, you know, but if you're looking at Joe Hayden... I mean, Dexter McCluster was an all-pro. I mean, As a returner, but yeah, but I mean, you've got Joe no, Hayden. Joe Hayden's a nice player. He's a nice Joe player. Hayden and then you've got and Joe Thomas. But it'll be interesting to see if, you know, now that they realize their season is totally gone and they are in full rebuild mode, uh, especially when they're trying to do that whole, like, I don't know, get as many metrics as yeah. possible. Yeah, could they, could they start making trades? Could a team, like... Yeah, like Minnesota, who's got offensive line issues, make a move for Joe Thomas. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, granted, they don't that have, would be awesome. They don't have a first round pick anymore to trade away, but you never know. Um, but still, so I, I think it'll be interesting. But we talked way too long about Cleveland um, <laughs> and probably not enough about the Patriots. But let's uh, let's keep it rolling, Rob. Uh, we uh, we're gonna move over to the Tennessee and Miami game. They're in Hard Rock <sighs> Stadium where your Dolphins uh, may have solidified themselves as one of the two worst Second teams. worst team in football. Thank you very much. We'll be taking the silver this year. I mean, th- you say say that, I guess they, by merit of beating Cleveland, they can say yes, that. Yes, exactly. By the rules of law. They didn't really deserve it, but that's And if fine. Cleveland beats New England and Miami beats Cleveland, it's a fact. Miami's better than than New England. That's, That's true. By That's the transitive property of football. Anyways, what did you see in this Titans Dolphins game? I mean, the, honestly, I can keep this bit under two minutes. To be honest with you, um, what are we gonna say? Mariota had a nice game. Mariota made a couple nice throws, but you know, and Demarco Murray had a lot of great like tackle. You know, he broke a lot of tackles. He showed good awareness, good elusiveness. You know, Demarco Murray played nice, but honestly. The, the best play, the best thing about this whole t- game was the Titans' offensive line. That line, currently by Pro Football Focus, is ranked number one in pass protection and number two in run blocking, and it showed up. Dolphins have one of the you know best off defensive lines in football and deepest defensive lines in football, and they didn't get any sacks, and they combined for like three hurries and I think like two tackles. Like they abused abused this Dolphins defensive line and it showed up and you know Dolphins had no answer for it they stayed balanced and I mean Tannehill I know it shows he only he threw for you know think about this Tannehill threw the ball 18 times and was sacked six times yeah that's what does that tell you and and like I I was talking to my dad about it after the game because I was home in Orlando and my dad is looking at this and my dad is just so pissed he's like why is it that this team is one and four and we're not seeing what the backup quarterbacks have? You know, we know what we have in Matt Moore. Don't worry about Matt Moore. But what about the rookie we drafted, uh, Dowdy or Dari, whatever his name is? And, you know, I understand where he's coming from, but it's not like Tannehill threw it 50 times and got sacked six times. Well, I think my thing is, if I'm a Dolphins fan, is you're still trying to figure out Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I agree with you. And, and, that, and that's the thing is I was saying to my dad, because my dad doesn't understand it, and I told him, I said, in theory – if Gase's offense does work for Tannehill, he needs to get as many reps in it as he can because come next year, if he can take the step in this offense and really make it his own, kind of like Big Ben and Chan uh, Haley's offense, you know, this you know this year is key. As ugly as it looks, if it can be better than you know or better next year, it'll be worth it. But like his two interceptions, like his second one, he got hit while he was throwing. You know what I mean? And um, it sailed over the receiver, and um, the safety picked it off. So like. That's 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 obscene, you know what I mean? And look at and look at the running game. You know, now the next question is where is the running game? You know what I mean? 
This is this is a team that is deficient in so many areas. And the worst part is like Miami. You guys are literally the worst fans ever. Like, and I say this saying you guys might be the dumbest football fans in the country. How is it that in, on Saturday you can throw bottles onto the field against the Seminoles and then Sunday call for Matt Moore? Matt Moore's not winning, you know, he's not winning anything for you. Yeah. Matt Moore, there is no reason for Matt Moore to be on an NFL roster when you think about it. Unless I mean, you have a rookie who he's mentored. What's he going to teach Tannehill? He's better. He's not better than Tannehill. So my next question is, you know, it's like we're signing. We, um, excuse me. Matt Moore is give, is getting like $3 million a year from the Dolphins. Why? Draft a seventh round backup quarterback. Matt Moore's not going to will this team to wins. No court. If Tom Brady was on this team, this team would maybe be three and two. Maybe. You know, and I think I think what's interesting, you know, with the with the Matt Moore discussion is I I get the veteran backup thing. If your team is good enough, that you're saying okay, if if someone the, goes down, if someone we have if, a if our quarterback goes down. You have enough pieces around him that we just need someone who's not going to bury us and not make mistakes. Yeah, but Miami doesn't have that. Exactly. So in that case, then you need to be just grooming as many young passers as you can. Yeah, and and I'm and you know kudos to Dick LeBeau. He made he had a great game plan coming in to stop this de- this offense offense. But just to kind of sum this up, I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, Laramie Tunsil, as hilarious as this is, fell in the shower before the game, and I guess he was so high he couldn't hit his life alert button. Um, and Brandon, Brandon Albert's been sick. You know what I mean? So we're missing the whole left side of our offensive line and Brian Arakbo. Oh, really? So neither of them played. Neither one of them played. Oh, I didn't realize that. And you know what I love? Brian Arakbo was going up against Billy Turner at left tackle. Billy Turner couldn't play left tackle at North Dakota state right now. Okay. Billy Turner's so bad. And then, you know, that's where he played out of of college. So like protecting the blind side of our guy. Yeah. Carson Wentz. Exactly. (laughs) So I'm looking at this and I'm like. I get it. The line is hurt, but it really makes me think, what is Christensen game planning for as the offense? You know, because Gase makes the play calls and he's heavily involved in the offense, but why isn't Christensen making line adjustments? Put another tight end in, put another big body in, protect your investment. So I look at that and I'm like, this, this is, this is pathetic. I mean, by the third quarter, I was ready to change it to a more interesting game. Yeah, I will say I think one of the last things we need to touch on is I think Mariota had a better game, and also I think it was I think it was really smart of the Titans to kind of let Mariota do some of the read option stuff. Yeah, and, and I will I will say this: Mariota had an excellent pocket presence that game. You know, he look at he wasn't sacked, he was hit. I think it helps when your team. pocket's that good. Well, yeah, but the thing was is there were times where Miami's um Miami's line did collapse that pocket, but he he eluded the pressure, and so there was a lot of good things to touch on. And he did play. He did have a nice game, you know. Even though the stats aren't huge, but um, uh, I'm giving more credit to the line. But Mariota did come in, you know, did show up in crunch time when the line did fail. Still, I think you know when you look at uh, you know, just the different dimensions that that running game has. When you have Demarco Murray, who looks like he can be a real workhorse, but Derrick Henry got in the game and he was productive when he was. And then you also mix in some different read option looks or just some different, you know, like run pass option looks with Mariota. I think you do that. That gives your offense just an extra dimension that we haven't seen out of the Titans in the last few weeks, really since, you know, like it looked like they, they did that kind of stuff week one against Minnesota. And then they got away from that for pretty much the rest of the season, I guess, because it didn't, it didn't work and they got discouraged after it kind of stopped working in the second half against Minnesota. But you know, like, I think that's when the Titans team's fun to watch, and that's when the Titans team's productive. Yeah. So they need to get back to that. Um, 
So you know what's really funny? That meme you um you shared of Tannehill as the hurricane? He pretty much missed most of Florida when he was supposed to hit it head on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh so what uh what's our next game in the slate, Rob? Uh next game that we have is Philly and the Detroit Jim Bob Cooters. And you know what? I'm gonna right off the bat, we're gonna talk we're gonna talk some cooter. How okay? did Carson Wentz throw an interception? I know. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't so, think anybody but Philly receivers are allowed to catch Carson Wentz's balls. Here's the thing. So especially early on, this was the Cooter show. Okay? And let me tell you, it's hard not to love the Cooter when Jim Bob is drawing up the kind of plays that he was in that first half. You know, so the Lions came out, and they came out with a lot of really interesting off-balance misdirection plays to take advantage of the Eagles' defense, which – did over-pursue some plays, get a little too aggressive in some spots, and kind of fell right into the Cooters' hands. Okay, and and it was there was a few plays that were just perfectly drawn up in a way to just perfectly take advantage of an aggressive defense the way that the Eagles are. Um, who it's not like the Eagles blitz a lot, but they're but they're very like it's a very instinctual defense, and so there a lot of their guys are looking to looking to make the play. And that allowed them to be taken advantage of from that misdirection standpoint. And that might be a blueprint to kind of take advantage of the Eagles going forward. Um, but, you know, like, one play that I want to really highlight was so on the touchdown pass to Theo Riddick that was off the screen. It was just a perfect way to, like, I don't know, really mess with a, defensive head, a defense's head. Where So, Cooter calls the play, and Golden Tate motions into the backfield with Stafford and Theo Riddick. As soon as that happens, the defense is, you know, like all of a sudden they're looking for what what's going on. Why is this receiver in the backfield? And then they go play action to Golden Tate. Okay, so the defense that was already especially looking at what was going on in the backfield with this wide receiver there then sees that they're actually about to hand it off to the wide receiver and they're immediately all sucked in on the run because they, they think this is some gadget play where they're going to hand it off to the receiver and they're they're already off guard. And they way over pursue that. And right after they go play action to Golden Tate, Theo Riddick comes out the backfield and they have a perfect screen lined up with with more blockers than there are defenders. T- dump it off. Let your pass catching running back like blow by the defense and really get uh, get in there. And it was a awesome, awesome play. One of the coolest and most intelligently drawn up plays I have seen all season. And so then you you know you see that the Lions are able to jump up to a 14 nothing lead in the first quarter and it really looked like they were taking an assertive stance on this game where they were going to you know like they really wanted to dominate this game at home. But then all of a sudden Jim Bob starts to run out of his scripted plays. And once he kind of got out of that script, that's when the Eagles defense was able to kind of assert themselves again and really kind of take control of the game. Um, and that's when they showed up to make it to kind of lead the Eagles comeback. Uh, and it was, and meanwhile, Carson Wentz was money again. Yeah. So I think for people that didn't watch this game, they're going to look at the one interception. They're going to say that he finally threw that. So, you know, Darius like caught it. He didn't throw it. Yeah. And so that's the thing is, so Carson Wentz threw strikes all over the field and it's really impressive to see what he's doing with a pretty lackluster receiving core. God, if if Philly goes receiver in the first round in this next draft, it is just going to be so 
interesting to see what he can do if he has a real number one because Jordan Matthews is is fine, but I think he's more of a two than he is a one. Well, the thing about to me, Jordan Matthews, you know, because he he's a pretty big and he's a, he's like he's a more physical physical receiver, right? But the thing is, is he'd be a great slot receiver. You yeah, know I mean? and that's and that's really he, where he fit that like Colson in New Orleans kind of role. And, and that's where Chip Kelly used him a lot. And I think I think he's been more productive this year as Doug Peterson's moved him in both the slot and outside. And I think that's what you should do. But just having someone that you can really bona fide say, like, is your number one, I think is really important for this team, especially because Nelson Aguilar hasn't exactly played like a dominant number one receiver. Yeah, I think he's kind of underperformed based off of his draft status. We'll see. He's not a bad receiver, but he needs to kind of step up. Um, But Wentz just looked so good again. And, you know, this is a, a really, you know, it was so frustrating to see that the interception because... You know, I've been waiting to see Carson Wentz in a pressured situation where the team, where the game was on him, where he had to make the throws to lead the Eagles to a comeback, and he gets in this situation where he's where he now has to, and he the Eagles are down and they're down by one and they need to get down the field to win this game, and he throws this interception, but what's so frustrating is that it was basically a perfectly thrown ball. There was no. I don't think there's any quarterback in the league that could have thrown that pass better. And he had his guy. He was technically, I guess you could say double covered, but he had a step on both guys. And Nelson Aguilar just doesn't try for the ball. You know, and that was the thing that was so frustrating is, uh, you know, Darius Slay just wanted it more. And he and so he throws that ball and Darius Slay is the only one that looked back for it and is the only one that stood up and really made a play for it. Whereas like, if Aguilar made any sort of effort, at worst, that play gets knocked down incomplete and should have probably been a, been a huge game. I mean, it was an awesome throw. And so, uh, and so meanwhile, it looks like, you know, okay, so we finally have that first interception behind us, Carson, so you can move on. You don't have to worry about that kind of pressure. Sometimes that, that can kind of build up when you have these long streaks without a pick. But, uh, man, it was just a – it was a really impressive showing by him. And also, I think – you have to look at Darius Slay, who, all right, so the the big money corner that, you know, some people were like a little wishy-washy on when Troy gave him that much money. Okay, they got their money's worth, worth today because Darius Slay made two really important plays that, that caused turnovers that really swayed the game in Detroit's favor, where the first one, he lays the hit on Ryan Matthews, where he really just puts his shoulder and his helmet on the ball and knocks out the ball for the fumble that was recovered by, by Detroit. And then really he made the effort play that was the interception that was really the difference in this game where I don't think any other corner that Detroit has would have made that play. Uh, he he did because he's really good. Um, but overall, I think the Eagles are still probably a better team than the Lions, but we've said this before with the Lions. The Lions aren't necessarily good, but I think this Lions team is talented enough that they could probably beat any team in the league and they're probably inconsistent enough that they could lose to any team in the league. Um, so I don't know. So they, yeah. the Eagles go down, they're not undefeated anymore, but I, uh, I think you still have to come away from this if you're an Eagles fan with a lot of hope because this defense showed up in the second half and Carson Wentz is a monster. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't disagree at all. Um, and since they had their bye week last week, um, it's just a matter of them being only a game down to um Dallas. I mean, I count that more like a half a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And you know, like Dallas has their one loss too, and, and it's and it's there look like that's going to be the matchup in this division uh, because the the Giants and the Redskins are both still in it. They're not out, but 
Uh, it really looks like the Dallas and Philadelphia are the class of that division. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so uh, moving on, we're going to take it to uh, to Pittsburgh on the shores of the f- – of the uh, of the four rivers, and uh, what did you see at Heinz Field when the uh, Pittsburgh uh, thrashed the New York Jets? Uh, well, the first thing is I'm obviously paying attention more to the Jets because we know how good Pittsburgh is. I was just looking at seeing progression in the Jets' offense, and the Jets' offense is really, really inconsistent, or maybe it's just bad, and we just saw a good one against the Bills week one. You know, I'm, I'm not really sure because the thing is, is like Fitzpatrick looks for Brandon Marshall often. And when he does, Brandon Marshall is showing he's still a stud in this league. I mean, if you look at that catch he had in the end zone, you know, it was thrown behind him and the corner was going to make a play on it. And Brandon Marshall, you know, goes to rip it from him. It hits off his helmet, off the defender's helmet, and he just plucks it while it's in the air. I mean, I'm looking at that, I'm like, holy hell, like, what the hell just happened? Like, this isn't football. Like, this is a juggling contest. Um, but Brandon Marshall finished with 115 yards. He had a ton of catches. So I look at the passing game, and Brandon Marshall being on the field makes everybody else on that team better. You know what I mean? You know, who would have thought Quincy and Nunwa was going to be, a you know, a pretty good player come this season? You know, could you have told me who Quincy and Nunwa was at the start of this year? No, but I tell you what. This team really misses Eric Decker. Yeah, no, they do, and I agree with you. And Eric Decker is still, like, Eric Decker might be the best number two receiver in football. You know what I mean? Like, he's not good enough to be a number one, but he might be the best number two in football. Yeah, and I don't think it's any coincidence that we've seen this offense fall off dramatically since Decker's fallen out of the lineup. Because the last time we saw this offense be any semblance of productive was against Buffalo, and ever since then, Decker's been gone, and it's been nowhere near the same the same team. Yeah, um, and then the next thing I was going to say for the Jets is their defense can't handle speed. We're seeing that every single week. You know, whether it's um, uh, Marcus Goodwin going deep on them or this week it's Sammy Coates going 72 yards to the house. Sammy Coates, by the way, was the guy for Big Ben last week. Um, but, you know, when you're in the offense with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, it's kind of easy to be the deep ball guy because it doesn't matter how good you are being the deep ball guy. They can't shade two guys over you with Antonio Brown on the yeah, other side of the field. I, and, you know, if you're Sammy Coates, really all you have to do is run in a straight line. And yeah. I think that's the thing is I think Sammy Coates is a one-trick pony, but I think he's just like like a really, really good pony at that one trick. Which is weird <laughs> because he couldn't catch anything at Auburn. You know what I mean? Like he, he dropped so many passes. But, you know, he did drop so many passes, but Sammy Coates has always been one of the best athletes on the field whenever he stepped oh, yeah. on. Even when he was at Auburn, he was good for one or two like monster deep balls a game. Yeah, and I think maybe having Antonio Brown there is going to help him, you know, with well, catching the ball. And I think, you know, like if you're if you're a Pittsburgh fan, okay, so like Sammy Coates was targeted 11 times. He only brought in half of his passes. But the 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 thing is though is that okay, one of those passes went for 72 yards. <laughs> so you're just like, okay, yeah. if I, I, I okay, I'll so take if, that. if I have a 50% chance of gaining 70 yards on this play, that's fine. Let's throw it up to Sammy and see what we got. Oh, man, I do that every play. I'd be like I'm playing Madden. <laughs> um and then the last thing um the last thing I'll touch on is the reason why I think Le'Veon Bell is the best running back in football is if you look at his running stats, 20 carries, 66 yards, a 3.3 average. That's not good. You know, I mean, if you look at that stat line and put it across the league, Le'Veon Bell doesn't have a job tomorrow. But what makes Le'Veon Bell the best running back in football is, okay, 
So, Coach, I'm not really able to find any running lanes, you know, so why don't you just throw me the ball? And that's what they do. Nine receptions, 88 yards. You know what I mean? And that just shows. And the thing is, is I honestly think Big Ben, when he gets into the huddle, is like playing Madden. And I think what he does is he's like, you know what? I feel like getting Le'Veon Bell the ball. So we're going to run streaks and have him do that through the line and out route and just have him juke the linebacker covering him. And then he'll be wide open and then he can just turn up field. And that's pretty much all they have to do really is um, dump it off because Le'Veon Bell is going to make a play. And, you know, that's that is the essence of of the Steelers offense is okay. You're not gonna be able to stop Antonio Brown, but I can't throw to Antonio Brown every play. So I'm going to give it a Le'Veon and then you oh, can't block Le'Veon every play. So I'm going to give it back to Antonio Brown. Like, and then when you shift your entire defense to focus on those two guys, Sammy Coates is going 72 yards. Yeah. So, and and that's, that's the thing. That's why I still think the Patriots like, or not the Patriots, excuse me, Pittsburgh, they're four and one. I get it. They're, they're not undefeated. I think that Pittsburgh still might be the best team in football. Because there's just – it's like when the Saints won the Super Bowl, they won the Super Bowl off of amazing offensive game planning and a defense that forced more turnovers than anybody else. But in Pittsburgh, there's so much talent on that offense. They don't need a great game plan. So God forbid you're a team that is being game planned for like the Jets were this week. Yeah, and I think I think the interesting thing with Pittsburgh is I think their defense is beatable. and so oh, it abs- No, it absolutely is. And so I think if you are going to beat this team – you know, like I, I, that's the thing. I think that makes Pittsburgh beatable, but I think when Pittsburgh is hot, there's I don't think there's any any team in the league that could keep up with that kind of firepower. Yeah, I think the only two, the there's only two teams I can think of off the top of my head who would genuinely be competitive or three maybe, and that you know, assuming all these teams are hot as well, New Orleans because of the passing game. New England because of the you know balanced attack and they're always disciplined on defense and Seattle and it's because Seattle has that option on the ball. I think those are the only three teams that can stay with hang with Pittsburgh unless they're just shut down by a team like Minnesota's defense. Well, I think I think you're uh, pumping up the New Orleans offense too much and I think you're underselling the Falcons offense who I oh think yeah okay totally could because the Falcons totally have the firepower to do it um, and and I I think if you're because I, I, that's the thing. I think if you're going to beat Pittsburgh, you either have to be able to beat them in a shootout or you have to have a prolific defense to the point that you can slow them down enough. So you either have to follow the Denver model or the Minnesota model, which I think either of those teams could be Pittsburgh. I don't think Denver could. And if, you, and if you look last year, that they almost lost without Antonio Brown. Well, yeah, and that's, and that's true. But I think, I think they're getting more production out of their offense this year, yeah. especially if Simeon's playing. Um, but yeah, I uh, still, I, I think Pittsburgh's really, really good. And that's, I think they're probably looking at, I think they have to be the favorite with new England for first round buy in the AFC. But, um, the good news for you Jets fans is, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick decided he wasn't going to throw an interception this game. So that was nice of him. Uh, yeah, he was rather kind. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a, it's, it, it's tough. Cause I think. It's uh, there were some questionable coaching decisions by Todd Bowles in this game, who seems to be trying to play his game plan to his defense, which I think he thinks is better than it really is. Um, but regardless, uh, moving on, uh, Rob, what's our next game on the slate? We have Chicago and Indy. I know you covered that game because I gave you your division rival. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, all right. I feel like every week I come on here and I talk about the Bears. And most of the time it's negative. 
Um, Brian Hoyer was really good this time. I'll tell you what. This was a fun game to watch. And I think – here's the thing. I think both these teams aren't super good. But I will say, you know, like it was an interesting showing by both teams. Okay, so uh, on the Bears side, okay, I've said this again. This team is better without Cutler and Langford. And also, like, if Cutler was the starting quarterback – and Jeremy Langford was the starting running back. I don't think this game is close. That and they almost won this game with it that way. And I think that's something that's really impressive. Is just the is I think Hoyer is good enough where he could manage a game to a victory. And he made some throws in this game, so I don't want to totally discredit him. But you know, like I I think he's I think Hoyer's fine. And meanwhile, Jordan Howard is a player. And Jordan Howard plays with awesome burst and awesome power. And while he's not going to make anybody miss, if you're talking about just a bulldozer coming at you fast in a straight line, Jordan Howard's a really nice player. Um, but first, I just want to like also touch on... So there's been this narrative this season that I think is really mostly because Indianapolis has just been losing so many of these games. And it's been this narrative that Andrew Luck isn't the quarterback that should that like he was cracked up to be when he was taken first overall all those uh, all those years ago um that is just blatantly false and i think he showed that that whole narrative is just stupid because luck was awesome in this game and granted that comes against a really bad bears defense and the bears defense is bad but luck made some really spectacular throws despite being under duress all day luck's offensive line did nothing for him today and he was getting thrown around by a Bears pass rush that isn't prolific and a Bears defense that is not very good. But, man, he looked really good. You know, T.Y. Hilton really is establishing himself as not only a legitimate number one receiver in this offense, but one of the best receivers in the league. And he had a great day. And just luck was just throwing bombs all over the field and in crunch time when it really mattered to win the game. Um, you know, and I, I just think... That you're seeing the fact that he's really good, and this, and if you're hearing all these, you know, national pundits that have been kind of throwing criticism at Luck, and I think it's more just a product of Indianapolis being bad overall. But Luck is certainly not even on the top five reasons that Indianapolis has lost three games. Um, but uh, you know, overall, I thought it was a fun game to watch. I thought, I thought it was competitive. Uh, but the last thing I just want to point out is uh, Adam Minitari is uh he's really really awesome like he is so good and he was kicking into some wind he was kicking with uh you know kind of putting perfect you know direction on the ball to kind of hook it when he needed to uh he was money and he was really really good and with so many teams that are having some serious kicker issues you know in the NFL right now it's just got to be so like nice the one of the nice things you could say if you're a Colts fan is you know you can trust your kicker in basically any situation regardless of the down or distance um and that's uh that's pretty awesome that's how you know your team lives a sad life when your kicker is exciting i mean that's true that's true but uh you look good and uh so meanwhile the bears are uh really looking to be competitive in that race for the first overall pick and I tell you what, their chances are looking less and less that they'll end up there if uh, 
if they're going to keep, you know, like giving the ball to Jordan Howard and, uh, and Brian Hoyer stays their quarterback, but, uh, you never know. I, I, I it looks like Cutler has, is definitely going to play his last snaps in Chicago. Cause even if he comes back healthy, I don't think they go back to him because Hoyer's just looked better than he was. Oh yeah. And Cutler's not coming to Miami. Okay. So we can cut the crap. Cutler <laughs> is not coming to Miami. That would never happen. Because Gase knows he couldn't win in Chicago with him. He's not going to win in Miami with him. I don't know, man. He's not. Let, let's be – okay, they're not – what, what are they going to pay him? What are they going to pay him? They're going to give him a massive contract? You think no, Gase no, no, is going to spend a giant amount of money? Certainly not. I don't think they're going to – I don't think he's going to get paid very much. But uh, will he get paid by some team next year? Yes. Because that will be Miami. But the thing is someone's going to pay him. I could see him someone in someone desperate for a quarterback is going to pay him, and I think you know like if you're looking at some someone who you know, like had some production with Cutler, enough production with Cutler last year that I was able to get him the job in in Miami, you know like I don't know I just and if I'm a Dolphins fan I desperately hope that doesn't happen because that puts you in quarterback purgatory, but. I don't he's know, not gonna be man. He's not. And if he is, he's going to be a backup. He's not. Gonna We're going to save this soundbite, and then next year, week one, when Jay Cutler comes out for <laughs> your Miami Dolphins, I'm going to play it over and over again for you. Uh, but anyways, so uh, moving on to our next game in the slate. Uh, Rob, what do we got? We have um, Washington and Baltimore. And um, I'm pretty sure you had this game, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, Justin Tucker had a pass attempt? Yes, he did. Uh, yeah, you miss it. So here's the thing about this game. It was really interesting because this game was basically played in a cyclone. Uh, the wind was obnoxious in this game. So much so that, okay, so like, but so the Redskins score in the first quarter on a Jamison Crowder punt return. Okay, really nice play by Crowder. Don't want to discount that when I'm talking about this game. But so, okay, so Crowder makes a nice punt return. They get the go-ahead touchdown. They line it for the PIT. Uh, Dustin Hopkins, former FSU guy, he goes up and he kicks the PAT and it's going right down the middle. The wind is so strong that this kick with no spin on it or anything that's going right down the middle gets blown so far out wide that it bounces off the upright and it goes out of bounds. It it goes, it goes wide left. It was ridiculous how strong this wind was so much so that the Ravens on you know like rather than letting the you know like the most consistent kicker in the league justin tucker go for a field goal like they were like okay he's not gonna be able to make it with the wind like this so let's try a trick play and they tried they tried a a trick play with justin tucker where he threw a pass it didn't work um but still it was it was pretty interesting uh, the way both teams adapted, Washington went for it on multiple fourth downs. The wind was legitimately obnoxious in this game, and both teams kind of had to compensate for that. But you know, so the Ravens go down for the second straight week, and man, they were just kind of snake bit. You know, like they did their best Chargers impression on Sunday. Uh, Poor Chargers, because you know, like they're doing all this stuff where you know, like they just kind of showed that they were the most ta- most talented team. And so, like, okay, so the Bears, or, I'm sorry, the the Ravens' offensive coordinator. Uh, former coach of the Bears. Maybe that's why that was a Freudian slip. Um, Mark Tressman was fired this week. And he was fired, I think, mostly because he is just he was so impatient with his running game. So Rob, let me tell you this. Okay, so you're so you're offensive coordinator for the Ravens, right? You're playing in a cyclone, and your running back is averaging like eight and a half a carry 
against the worst running de- rushing defense in the league. Um, so you're coming out in a drive where he just ran for like oh, 12 bucks a clip. And uh, what uh, what do you think your, your run-pass split would be on that drive? It would be 100 to 0 if I'm averaging 8 yards a carry. Uh, yeah, so uh, that the drive that they did coming out in the second half, uh, nine of eleven of those of those plays were uh, were passing. Yep, you deserve to lose your job. And see, that's the thing is, in Mark Trestman got the same criticism when he was in in Chicago, and he had one of the best running backs in the league at the time with a in his prime Matt Forte, but he just couldn't stay patient with that running game. And that was the thing. Terrence West looked awesome, and he was literally just bowling over the Redskins. And there was just a blatant refusal to give him the carries he deserved. He got 11 carries in this game for 95 yards. Are you kidding me, man? Like, <laughs> you're running for almost 10 yards a carry early in the game, and you're not going to just feed the beast? And, you know, so, like, meanwhile, the passing game wasn't any good either, partially because they're throwing in a cyclone and partially because they're throwing, like, every freaking play. Tell me this, Rob. It's a cyclone, and you're and you're rushing for 10 yards to carry. How many times do you throw it? 46 times? <laughs> Where you didn't have a passing play longer than 15 yards? Are you kidding me? And that's, and that's the thing. It was, it was, it was baffling. And it got – and, it, I mean, it lost Mark Trestman his job. But, you know, like – and all that being said, as poorly coached as this game was basically on offense, you know, like the Ravens' defense showed up. And still probably should have won this game. And, you know, like, and they lost a really crucial play on what I think might be one of the dumber rules in football. Okay, so uh, this play happened where, so CJ Mosley picks off uh, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins was like almost in his own end zone when he threw it. And uh, Mosley picks it off on like the Redskins 20 yard line, right? So he's got the ball and he's, uh, he's running for the end zone. And he gets to like the two yard line and he fumbles the ball and the ball goes out the side of the end zone. Okay. So then what happens in that scenario? Does Baltimore get the ball? No. The Redskins get the ball back on their own 20 yard line because that's a touchback. All right. That's just a really dumb rule. Like that, that, that whole rule kind of seems like there wasn't a rule. And then that happened like in like the forties and they were like, Oh, what do we do? Uh, I don't know. Touchback for the other team. Yeah. Like it just seems like the kind of thing they made up on the spot and no one's questioned it for well, like a hundred yeah, years. It's really irritating. Cause I remember the saints were playing the 49ers uh, a couple of years ago when Kaepernick was the starter. And this is when the 49ers still had a good defense. And I think it was, I think his name was Chris white was our, our corner or Corey white. It was Corey white. He ended up playing for the uh, Cowboys a little while after he picks off Kaepernick and while he's running to the end zone, he extends out, and Kaepernick hits him like at the one-yard line, and he fumbles out of bounds. And then the 49ers get back at the 20. And I'm exactly. Like, I'm like, what the hell? Like, what – you know, make it a touchback for the Saints. Make them drive 80 yards. Well, right? and see, here's the thing. Over. Like, it would make more sense in that scenario if you're going to give – I I even think the, the, the thing that makes the most sense is, okay, give the Ravens the ball on the – Redskins 20 yard line. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that makes, to me, that's a fair rule that makes perfect sense. The NFL is going to have to do something about that. Cause there are a lot of fans pissed off and they, who knows, they probably won't, but I think that's, that's a rule that they really need to take a look at because that's just stupid. It's just dumb. And, uh, but regardless, 
Um, you know, so the Redskins get the win, and I don't want to totally discredit the Redskins because they did play well. Kirk Cousins had a pretty nice game. Yeah, like he he kind of had a bounce back. You know, They're throwing it forty one times in a cyclone. That's true, but he's you know like they were getting the difference is they had to because they weren't getting anything out of the rushing game. That's Matt true. Jones averaged two point two yards a carry. That's terrible. They're like so they needed this, but you know I I still think uh, more so than I am going to give credit to the Redskins. I'm I'm just saying you know like the Re- uh, the Ravens kind of just shot themselves in the foot, but. You know, regardless, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, like what does the Baltimore Ravens offense look like going forward, and will they really be able to commit to the run, especially when Terrence West is looking like he's one of the better running backs in the league. I like Terrence West. <laughs> uh, so, for the uh, record, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Did you hear? Did you see what? Uh, uh, who was their running back last year? Uh, he just got cut. Uh, Forsett. Yeah, Justin Forsett. Did you hear what he said about the NFL? He said he's been friend zoned by a bunch of teams. Like they like him a lot, but they don't love him enough to sign him. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. It's kind of bad timing when he got cut because I think if he had been cut like a week or two sooner, uh, he probably would be on the Vikings. You know, when the Vikings signed Ronnie Hillman, I'd probably rather have Justin Forsyth oh, yeah, than Ronnie absolutely. Hillman. You know, but I, 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 even though I think they're pretty similar backs, where they're pretty much good for you know just their speed, but you know, like. Still, I think he's proven to be more productive than Ronnie Hillman, and I think he probably would be on a team right now if he had just been cut a little bit sooner. He's also, from all accounts, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, next game on the schedule. Uh, what's uh, what, what are we up next? We have the Texans against your Vikings. Oh, yes. My 5-0 and Minnesota Vikings. Uh, we're, you know, so all things considered, uh, this game wasn't overly like intense i think the texans kind of gave up after they got down early but man did minnesota assert themselves early uh you know so going into this game the texans boasted like a pretty impressive pass defense i think they were actually ranked the number one pass defense in the league and granted those numbers are kind of inflated because they were going up against terrible quarterbacks you know jay cutler and marcus mariota and like guys jacoby Brissett. yeah not exactly guys that are throwing bombs downfield but uh you know from the get-go bradford tested these guys and won and that's without stefan diggs where all of a sudden my man adam Thielen, comes in and he had a monster game okay seven catches 127 yards and a touchdown uh, the long being the 36-yard bomb from uh, from Sam Bradford, where he beat Jonathan Joseph on a double move. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is this team, man. This this Minnesota team is injury-proof, okay? You lose your right tackle, eh. You lose your best receiver going into the game, who cares? Adam Thielen's just going to have the career game. A tight end goes down, so all of a sudden, your only tight end that you had on the roster, uh, you know, active for the game is Kyle Rudolph, and you need another tight end to run block. All right, we're just going to take our backup tackle and we're going to give him like a tight end tutorial on the sideline. And next thing you know, he's going in motion and he's blocking for us. Like this team is just it's its ridiculous what this team can do and how res- this team is defined by resilience and toughness. And there is no amount of adversity that seems like you can get this team down. And, you know, like it's through the, the Vikings defense. Also, just once again, total shutout performance. You know, like. Through games against Odell Beckham and DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and Kelvin Benjamin, the Vikings defense has given up a combined 83 yards to those guys. That's obnoxious. And 
like, especially when you look at the way that they just harassed Brock Osweiler. And this is not the first defense again Brock Osweiler's head this year. There have been multiple that have done that. Uh, and I think he's now showing that he was not worthy of the contract that Houston gave them. And I think if I'm a Texans fan, I'm pretty worried about that because it seems like as good as Brock Osweiler is physically, his intangibles are just as bad. Uh, but that being said, you're like this, uh, this defense was razor sharp. Once again, they played awesome. They shut down Deandre Hopkins for the most part, other than some garbage time, uh, yards and points. And it was just another, you know, fantastic showing. And it's just, you know, the Vikings are five and zero, and you know, so they go into a bye next week. And on one hand, you know, like the bye comes at a nice time because they are so beat up. And getting a chance to get healthy is nice. You know, like getting a chance to figure out, all right, what are we doing on the offensive line? You know, I, I saw today something that, uh, pending a physical, the Vikings signed Jake Long today, which, you know, like you need depth on your offensive line. I think it was confirmed. I think Yeah. So, uh, so like they need depth in their offensive line and giving a chance for him to get in the lineup. That's good. You know, getting Stephon Diggs healthy. That's good. But on one hand, I kind of wish the bye wasn't this week. Because this team is so red hot, I just don't want them to stop playing. Because I just I just kind of want them to keep in this groove because they're just on fire. Dude, that's how I feel about FIFA the other night. I was 11-0 and 0 and I had to use the bathroom and I was like, I can't stop. I got to keep going. <laughs> so there you go. The Vikings are as good at football as Rob is at FIFA. <laughs> I feel so. like that's fair. That's fair. But uh, yeah, but it was just, uh, it was a really really impressive showing by the purple, and uh, I think you know like you're they are a top three team in the league, and as a Vikings fan, I don't really know how to handle it, but I know I like it. So <laughs> anyway, so moving on, let's uh let's take it to uh to Denver, um and Rob, uh pretty interesting game between the Falcons and the Broncos, where it seems like the Broncos got out Shanahan in this one. What uh what happened? So I'm actually going to give some real analysis because I feel like you're better at predictions, but I feel like I'm better at reading cover concepts, um, as you can tell by our predictions record, which we'll cover later. The Falcons found what exploits the cover three. Do we know what it is, Nelson? What's that, Rob? Scatbacks. Scatbacks expose cover three. Now, the reason why we haven't seen that in Seattle is because of a certain player. Do you know who it is? Is that Cam Chancellor? It's Bobby Wagner. Oh, uh, yeah. The problem is, is when Danny Trevathan left Denver, they lost their most athletic, most excuse me, athletic uh, middle linebacker. I sounded like radio there for a minute, but um, that's the thing. They kept giving it to Tevin Coleman, and Tevin Coleman was like, "All right, I'm going this way," and you can see that. Now, don't get me wrong, Denver's defense looks sloppy. They missed a lot of tackles that they should have had, but I mean, Tevin Coleman is the reason why they won that game is because Matt Ryan could play it to him and nobody was able to stop him because what happens is when you run that cover three, you're rushing four guys more often than not. You've got two linebackers, sometimes three linebackers running in soft zones in the middle. And then you got, or one will go in the flat, excuse me. The other one goes in the flat and your strong safety or free safety. They interchange. One will come down to support the other linebacker. One will go deep. And then the corners have the other quadrants. If your receivers can cover the corners and your linemen can shed their first block once the scat back has the ball and get upfield, that's it. All you got to do is be faster than the other guys. And that's what Atlanta did. Kyle Shanahan 
had an excellent game plan and and, and they they beat Denver. Now the thing is is Denver only hung 16 points. I get that doesn't seem like much. That's not so much a reflection on how bad Denver's offense is. I just, or how good De- uh, Matt Landis' defense is. I think it's just Denver's offense is still getting their feet wet. No Trevor Simeon, you know. Yeah, I think I think especially Paxton Lynch did not have a good game, and I think I think for those that were looking for Paxton Lynch to take the job from Trevor Simeon later this year, this was not exactly a game to get you excited about that notion. Cause yeah. It seemed like he saw ghosts later in the game where – so he got sacked six times and all of a sudden, okay, Vic Beasley like, yeah. came back to life. Yeah, that was my next point. Vic Beasley looks like he might not actually suck. Three and, and a half sacks. And yeah, and so that's that's a big deal. And the Denver offensive line struggled, but I think even in plays where Paxton Lynch was fine pressure-wise, after he got hit, he started seeing ghosts. And like that's a that was a major problem, and I think I think with Trevor Simeon, especially coming off like some really nice performances, his, his really nice performance against Cincinnati and other games, I think he's shown that he could be like a real player. Um, but Paxton Lynch just isn't ready. Yeah, no, and I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, the other thing I was going to say was when Denver's defense does slip up like it did this week, the offense can't support them, and that's the thing is Denver's defense has to be on every single week, or this is what's going to happen. Oh, and um, another thing I want to point out, Vic Beasley did have a nice game, and it's nice to see that because I remember in the preseason, he couldn't even get past Juwan James, who's been benched twice in Miami now. But uh, he was going up against a backup right tackle, so that's, that's something true. to keep in mind. Uh, but with that being said, I think the highlight of that whole game was, like, Tevin Coleman had that nice catch and run down the sideline, but Von Miller had the dopest sack I've ever seen, <laughs> where he came in with power off the um, off the right tackle's, like, uh, right side, and he just dropped his shoulder and did a spin move in the inside. And I was just kind of like, that's not human. That's not human. This man likes to play with chickens in his spare time. Like, that's that's not human. Yeah, this it was a really interesting performance by Atlanta because I think especially, you know, you highlighted the running backs. And it, I think this tandem is probably that's, some of the best running back tandems yeah, in the league. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen a real thunder and lightning that's successful in the NFL. Yeah. Where they, they are, normally it's thunder, 80%, lightning, 20%. This is 50-50. Yeah, and I think uh, especially, you know, like Freeman is the better runner. And yeah. I think and I think Freeman's not exactly, like it's not like Freeman's a big back. Like Freeman's Freeman can carry the load, but he's not, he's not like gonna necessarily going to bully you over. I think he's, he's more, he's a tough guy, but he's not, He's not a power back per se, but he's the more instinctual runner. He reads his blocks better. He's a good fit in you know, Shanahan's offense. But especially, you know, like when you get the home run threat out of Coleman and meanwhile, it's just like Coleman is just too freaking fast to be covered by a linebacker. And I think that receiving threat out of the backfield is really dangerous. Um, and I think that just showed the like. This is a really interesting backfield, and I think it's probably one of the more exciting backfields when you look at the depth out of both guys um, in the league. Uh, and I think it's just that's this this Atlanta offense is for real. And I think it's I think you like once again, you know, like we kind of said last week, we were looking at our quarter poll, and we were like, you know, like do we need to really start taking the Falcons seriously? Beating Denver, I think you have to say, okay, we need to take this off. We need to take this this Falcons team seriously. Well, the thing the thing is, is I think what would stop Atlanta, and I know this kind of sounds nuts because of their stat line. They will they, and I know we just said maybe Pittsburgh. Now that I think about it, I don't think they would be able to beat Pittsburgh. And the reason why I say that is because Matt Ryan obviously has been the best quarterback in football so far, even with only throwing two hundred and seventy yards. 
he's still number one in passing yards and he's top and, five in touchdowns. And that was against the Broncos at yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. It, he had a great game. Uh, you know, or well, I say he had a very good game. He he didn't turn the ball over. That was the key point. But this is the thing. With the exception of his day against Carolina, you know, when they cut Ben Ben Wickery or Ben Wickery, whatever, when he was throwing deep balls all day. The reason Matt Ryan is so successful now versus last year is because he's using his check down options a lot more. He's not forcing it downfield like you saw last year. Mm-hmm. And I think if he's in a situation where his team is down in the fourth quarter by, you know, seven or ten points and you're forcing him to air it out, you're going to see Matt Ryan make mistakes because Matt Ryan does get frustrated very quickly. I mean, he, I've never seen someone's face more red in my life. And I think that if you put him in a situation where his defense isn't doing anything and you're asking him to short, shoulder the load, excuse me, that, you know, it's going to cost me. I mean, look, they took away Julio Jones and he threw dump off pass, dump off pass, dump off, dump off pass, excuse me. I mean, Tevin Coleman, sure, four catches, 132 yards. But if you look at them, that was all Tevin Coleman. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was all Tevin Coleman. And that's the thing is I feel like if you're putting Matt Ryan in a situation where you have to force him to throw the ball deep, you're going to get punished for it. Uh, well, I just think the difference is, though, is that, okay, so this was Matt Ryan against the best pass defense in the league. Yeah, yeah, of probably. course, of course. And I think, you know, and so then, you know, so the, the Broncos did a good job taking Julio Jones away. Um, You know, I think teams that, you know, like some of the teams in the league that are more offense heavy, I don't know. My thing is I just don't know. If there's a team in the league that has the firepower to keep up with the Falcons and has a defense that's good enough to really shut Atlanta down, I think, oh, it, no. and that and that shut them down, and that's that's the thing where I just think that the Falcons, you know, they, could they lose? They could lose in a shootout to probably a variety of teams, you know, but I don't think that they could. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be in. Basically, they won't be blown year. out. They won't be blown out. And, but and, but I I just think like. In a head-to-head at a neutral site, if we're put, drawing that hypothetical scenario, could the Falcons keep up with the Patriots offensively? Yeah, yeah, they and, and I think they can keep up with the, with Pittsburgh offensively too. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, like especially if you, this defense isn't a mirage and you really are going to see start to see some pass rush production, then I think this team's dangerous. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think, um, I think, uh, like just like New England in particular, particularly on their defense, it'd be a tough matchup for them. But I, but I agree with you. I think they can hang with any team in the league offensively, uh, because there are no defenses that you know have an offense to match you know that highly touted status. But I also think that when you're in Atlanta situation where they've pretty much been ahead in every game, you know, there's been no real pressure on Matt Ryan to will them to wins. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but uh, okay, so moving on, uh, let's go to Big D, where the uh, the Cowboys come to four and one against uh, your you know second favorite team, the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> so uh, tell me what happened. I know you're heartbroken. I guess the Dolphins aren't the second best. <laughs> no, hey. or the Saints. I think you're just abandoning. <laughs> hey, I think um, I think uh, on the predictions, I think that you took Cincy and I took Dallas. Uh, well. I'm proud of you for you know getting a game up on on me. Maybe you can start to make a. I think you still won the spread, but um, <laughs> but this game, uh, the first thing that I think is Cincinnati is just so poor this year. I mean, at this point last year they were five and zero. You know what I mean? And this is the thing. I oh, there's a lot of teams five and zero last year. Then I think about it. Yeah. But um, NFL was all more top heavy last year. But the thing is, is I feel like with all the coaches leaving. And all the players being plucked, 
Cincinnati's starting to crumble. You know what I mean? Like they've been so talented year in and year out. And, you know, you just can't keep sustaining success when every year you lose these guys, then you lose these guys, and you lose these guys. So I feel like this might be the end of the Marvin Lewis era. I think this might be his last year. Which would be nuts because Marvin Lewis has weathered the storm in Cincinnati for a long time. And this would not be the worst team that Marvin Lewis has coached as the Bengals head coach. Oh, yeah, no. But, but I think it's just – Going I to do, five straight playoffs and then go, now you're two and three. Yeah, dude, it looks – going to be a problem. It looks like the uh, kind of national holiday for football fans where we watch Cincinnati lose in the first round of the playoffs is in jeopardy this year because I don't <laughs> think the Cincinnati is going to be there yeah, in the first and, round of the And the thing is, is if you look at the stats, like, yeah, score is 28-14. But those 14 points for Cincy didn't come until the fourth quarter. You know, when Dallas is like, game's over. Garbage time. Nobody get hurt. Just go out there. You know, we need you guys healthy for next week. Go half speed pretty much. No, not half speed, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, they miss Marvin Jones. They, yeah, they do miss Marvin Jones a lot. And, and that miss, and, I think they miss Sanu too, but they really miss Marvin Jones. Yeah, especially being the number one receiver in football right now. Um, but I, I just think, you know, like Dallas is able to shut A.J. Green down, and I think – you know, like I didn't necessarily think that Dallas had a corner that could match up with AJ Green, but it just you, when you don't have any real receiving threats on the other side, you can double cover him, and it's just, yeah. and you know, like it, it just wasn't productive. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think for the Cowboys, though, I think that Dak has has done everything that you need him to do. Dak doesn't doesn't turn the ball over. Dak just kind of rides the running game, rides behind a good offensive line, makes just a couple of deep uh, – or not deep, um, nice throws. You know, I think he's shown enough to where he's proven that he is the future of Cowboys oh, football. Yeah, no, he is. He is the future of Cowboys football, which is great for Cowboys fans because now you don't have to worry about when can we get a quarterback. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what's going to happen when Tony goes? We're going to suck just like everybody else who doesn't have a quarterback. So that's good for you. This is weird though because – I think this is Romo's job strictly on the basis of guaranteed money. You know what I mean? Romo's got all that money tied up to him. There's no way in hell Jerry Jones is going to let Romo ride the bench healthy. And that's what they keep saying. But this is the thing. It's weird because if you really look at this team, Romo adds that deep ball passing dimension to them, but Dak gives you that ability to run the ball. Mm -hmm. But – And and I think Dak gives you pocket presence and pocket movement that I don't know that that Romo has. Yeah, and, and, I, and yeah, I think Romo's got decent pocket presence. He's definitely, like, I mean, if I had to pick 10 quarterbacks in the league, you know, he'd definitely be at the last part, like 9 or 10 for pocket awareness. But this is the thing, though. We don't know what's going to happen to Ezekiel Elliott's stat line when Tony Romo gets healthy. Because, yeah, sure, Ezekiel Elliott was the best player on the field today, or uh, Sunday, excuse me, you know, hanging 134 yards on 15 carries at nine a clip, which is nuts. Now, of course, he had a 60-yarder, which kind of inflates the stat line. But even without that, you know, 14 carries for 70 yards, that's still five yards a carry. Yeah, super productive. he was still very, very productive, and I'm not questioning that at all. But with Romo healthy and that ability to throw the deep ball, doesn't that make defenses play off a little bit? Yeah, and I think that's true, but I, I just also think so when – okay, so kind of like in like vintage Kaepernick-esque fashion, you have to worry about – you know, they, they haven't done a ton of read option stuff with But he got a touchdown off the read option. <clears throat> yeah, but you do have to worry about Dak as a read option player. You know, so there's always that kind of added dimension where maybe you can just uh, – on 50% of your running plays, you can take half of – you can, or you can take one player off – 
you know, off the defense basically because they're having to account for Prescott. Yeah, like I think that's I think that's an added dimension. And, and listen, Romo is a better. We've seen Romo perform better than Prescott is right now. My thing is, do we know that Romo coming off this injury cold in the middle of the season? is going to be better than Prescott is right now. Well, the good news is when Romo has his five-interception game, they can bench him and have somebody who can, you know, <laughs> who can do something. But, now, but well, well, not not to cut you off, but the thing about Romo is you also got to keep in mind, Dak is playing great, but with that being said, Romo, you know, to counter that argument of will Romo be cold coming into this midseason is Romo also has established chemistry with pretty much everybody on that offense. You know what I mean? With the exception of Ezekiel, he's got chemistry with all his receivers – the line knows how he plays. They know this. They know that. There's little nuances that they're still figuring out with Dak. And I think that is an added benefit to that counter argument of will he be cold. I just think the longer they go without Romo, the less likely he is to to take this thing over immediately once he's healthy. Well, I will say this. Romo is always known to choke in the, in the season, right? He throws his five picks or his fourth quarter pick or whatever. What if they make the playoffs with Dak? Do you put Romo in for the playoffs? And the- see, that's the thing. See, that's is my my whole thing. Say, say, you know, it looks like Romo is going to be back before the da- before the before before the playoffs, like well before the playoffs. But say that scenario plays out where there's some sort of complication and Romo isn't healthy until we until Wild Card Weekend. I don't play him in that scenario. You don't bring in a guy cold, especially you. My thing is, you've shown what this team is, and this team got you this far. Don't ruin what you've got. You know, and that's and that's the thing. It's just like you know yeah, but, what you have there. But you also got to remember when, like you said, with the whole Kaepernick, Alex Smith thing. A lot of people believe, myself included, that if Alex Smith got that starting job in the playoffs, San Francisco has another Super Bowl ring. Uh, see, I don't John know. Harbaugh is don't still think. the coach of the 49ers. I don't think. See, here's the thing. I, I think long term. If if they had kept Alex Smith after that season, you know, fine. I think I think I think Alex Smith is probably still the still there, and you know, like Harbaugh's probably the coach. But if you look at that playoff run, and there'd be no players kneeling in the league, this would be a weird dimension we live in. But I think <laughs> if you look at that playoff run exclusively, Kaepernick did basically everything that they could have wanted, and I, and I think especially, you know, like I, I just think, you know, in that same way, Kaepernick's kind of what got them there. And you just you don't ruin a good thing once it's rolling, and that's and so I, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating because I think at the end of the day, Romo gets this job back, and I think Romo is better than Prescott is at this point. But I I tell you what, you know maybe you're waiting for that first bad Dak Prescott game before you really throw Romo in. Yeah, and and the thing is, I know a lot of people hate Dallas. Just being in a big market, you're going to have a lot of people who don't like you. You know, I mean, I'm sure I could find. A million fa- people that hate the Cowboys faster than I can find a million fans who hate the Vikings. You know what I mean? Just because they're a bigger market. But I'm kind of rooting for them. And the reason why is, I mean, come on. How often do you see a fourth-round pick start at quarterback and play this well? You know what I mean? Like, and well, I, I, and I, mean, think, I think it's just fun whenever you see teams that are really led by their rookies. And Think about Russell Wilson's rookie year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and that's the thing is like it's it's – it's like rooting for the underdog. You're rooting for the little guy. And that's why I that's why I find this appealing. But the thing is, is like Tony Romo, don't get me wrong, he throws his pick and everybody gets so pissed, and I get it. But like Tony Romo's such a likable guy though. You know what I mean? And he, he looks like a dad. And and on top of that, like Tony Romo played a game where he broke a rib and the rib punctured his lung. 
You know what I mean? You know how hard it is to breathe with a punctured lung, let alone walk around with a broken rib? And this dude played the most physical sport not named rugby on the planet. You know what I mean? So I'm rooting for him. And and it's hard to, you know, and I know like the Cowboys used to be in the same division as the Saints, but like how can you not like the Cowboys with, with, with Dak? Yeah, well, and I think that's the thing is I just think it, it's exciting to see a team that's really led by these two young players and uh, I think it's just I think it makes them fun. Um, but it's definitely going to be a narrative that's fun to watch all year. But moving on, we've uh, like basically every other football <laughs> outlet. We probably spend too much time talking about the Cowboys. So uh, let's uh, let's take it on to L.A. where uh, the Buffalo Bills managed to uh, topple our formerly known St. Louis Rams. Rob, uh, what did you see in this game? The battle of bad offenses. And with that being said the Buffalo offense starts and ends with Shady. Shady, again, has shown that Shady is not to be forgotten. Shady had an excellent game. And it's funny because, God forbid, they threw the ball because everybody was dropping passes this game. Like, this was so irritating to watch. And, I mean, I'm a Dolphins fan. But I'm like, how did you not catch that ball? Like, just drop here, drop there. And it was on both sides. Like, it was, it so was when we say So when we see a 50% completion rating, basically, from Tyra Taylor, are you saying that that was mostly on his receivers, not necessarily I, on Taylor? Or, like, what's the what's the story there? I mean, I mean, I think I charted five on myself, and that and that's while having a passing conversation with family who were, you know, visiting. So, I, you know, I was paying attention to the game, but, like, I was also having conversation. But I remember just five pass, like, drop pass on, like, like, on a short post. You know what I mean? Like a ten yard post or like an out route or a hook route. Just like like what the hell are you guys doing? Y'all get paid to catch the ball. You know what I mean? I'm pulling in one handers in the parking lot without those gloves on. What are you doing? Um but That was uh that was Rob's Uncle Rico moment of the day. <laughs> uh <laughs> but um it's funny. I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, like, don't bet against Rex, I guess. Like, I don't it's so weird because when it comes to a defensive showdown, and I mean two okay defenses against two really bad offenses, I guess don't pick against Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan is just the most creative defensive coordinator in football. Um, This game, really not a whole lot to it. Shows that the Rams are not deserving of being the best team in the West. Uh, Case Keenum throws two picks, which does that really surprise anybody? Yeah, Case Keenum came back to life. And I think it was especially against, you know, probably the best game we'd seen out of Keenum against Arizona. He did come back to earth, kind of a regression to the mean. Yeah, so, like, they're, they're, you know, this game was pretty much as expected. Like, not a whole lot. The the game plan for Buffalo was shut down Gurley and make Case Keenum throw it. And honestly, I feel bad for Gurley. Because this is probably the best game he's had all year. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were on 23 times for 72 yards. But I mean, the dude's facing eight-man boxes every single time. Doesn't snap. that say something about how bad his year's been so far? That he that the best game of his of his year so far, and he averaged 3.1 a carry. Yeah, and and I uh, and I feel bad because obviously it proves that they have no semblance of a passing game, but it just proves how bad the offensive line is. Like you think, even with Greg Robinson's inability to you know pass block, you think he could run block. Yeah, you know, and they got Roger Saffold. You know, that, the team you think has talent on it, but it's just – it's like the Dolphins. They have talent in key spots, but they're just underperforming well, so much. And I think the biggest thing that we saw in this game was that this this Rams team can be competitive with, I think, basically anybody. You know, like I think that – but 
they are not going to be competitive if the offense is going to turn the ball over. The offense yeah. has got it, the offense doesn't have to be productive, but it cannot shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and I agree with you. Like, Gurley had a uh, fumble loss, and well, he kind of had stone hands. I think he had two fumbles this game. Yeah, he had two um, fumbles, lost one of them. But uh, but one of them I th- was a better play on the defender. If anything, I'm pretty sure he swatted it out or you know had a nice punch. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, you threw two picks. Um, and, and that's just, that's not acceptable. You can't, you can't throw two interceptions at a, you know, they should have ran Gurley or just anybody behind them 30 times. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you just can't let Case Keenum go up against the secondary that is talented, but underperforming because Darby's a good player. Stefan Gilboard's a good player. You just can't do that. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is so like they, so the Rams looked like they had about three turnovers in this game. And I think. Okay, so imagine a game where they don't have those three turnovers. They're probably at least the game's much closer in this game against Buffalo, and I think they're probably and they might they're they're probably even beating Buffalo if they don't have those turnovers. But you know that's just the problem is you know like unfortunately turnovers are part of the game, and you got you can't have to play cleaner on offense if you're going to win um, with with the way that this team is constructed. Yeah, and then the last thing I noticed is the Rams suck. Well, there you go. Moving on, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Rob, let's talk about the best one and four team in football. <laughs> and, uh, let's, uh, let's go to Oakland where the San Diego superchargers, uh, found another way to hand away a win. Um, what did you see, uh, in this game? Well, the three, there's three points I have from this game. The first two are poor chargers squared. And then the third one is, did I mention the poor chargers? <laughs> um, I mean, this team is like. A thousand ways to die, but a thousand ways to lose a game. I mean, God, I just I feel so bad for the Chargers. Let me you tell guys you, can't get a break. So, I mean, this is nuts. But okay, so the the camera highlighted Philip Rivers after uh, after one of those plays where we're I think the it bad was news bears. Yeah, we're the bad news bears, and like. Oh my gosh, that is that is a team giving up, and this is after like a pretty awesome game by Philip Rivers, oh, by yeah. all oh. accounts. Well, the the, fun, the funny thing is, is like so, we all know that the Raiders can't stop the deep ball; they can't. And I mean, if you look, Philip Rivers had three passes for over fifty yards. You know what I mean? Like that's nuts. He had three passes that went for over fifty yards against a Raiders defense that can't stop those quick receivers. Well, so, yeah, because uh, once again, Sean Smith, you're you're not good at football. Yeah, um, but the thing is, is I feel so bad for 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 the Chargers because they go into these games and I mean they just they they kick ass, you know what I mean? But they're just there's always something, and I think it comes. I honestly, I'm putting it on Mike McCoy. You got to make this team more disciplined. Yeah, which, Philip Rivers is the only guy doing his job out there, and and I mean, think you know, don't get me wrong. Melvin Gordon's played, you know, he played solid, but he was here's the thing that he was the he was the play of this game that led to the Raiders making this comeback. It started with Melvin Gordon on that fumble. Yeah, and 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 like I said, it goes down to discipline. This is not a well disciplined team, and that's what you're seeing. Um, but on the Raider side, we got another Amari Cooper sighting, which is good for me for my fantasy team. Finally, got in the end zone. Sneakily, he was uh, touchdown list to start this year. Yeah, and and it was. I know a lot of people were talking about like maybe maybe Michael Crabtree is, is the, that guy, is and Amari Cooper is still being molded into the number one. And it's like that's not true. But Amari I, Cooper's taking all the coverages, and that's why you see Michael Crabtree have three touchdown games. So let's temper those expectations. Amari Cooper, 
made an adjustment to his game plan, did whatever he did a little bit differently, and he got open for it. And I think that's just a learning curve for a second-year player. Because you can't go out there and run the same style that you always do. you got to throw something new in. I think if you're looking at purely just like ones and twos as far as receiver pairs in the league though i don't know i don't know if it gets better uh, you know than than the way that cooper and crabtree have played to start this year um amari cooper and that's a good one um uh, obviously you gotta take julio and muhammad sanu but i even then i think the drop off between uh, jordy nelson and uh and uh, randall cobb have underperformed you know i'd take cooper and crabtree over them too yeah Yeah, like i'm sure there probably is somebody that we're just not thinking of oh sammy Coates and antonio brown (laughs) yeah maybe uh martellus bennett and gronk yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you know like i just think like that you couldn't really have asked for a better one and two if you're a raiders fan um and it's just been it's the the Raiders are fun to watch, and it, this is and you know they're four and one, and technically I think when you look at the different like tiebreaker scenarios, they're actually ahead of Denver in the division. And uh, it's nuts how they've won. I mean, a botched field goal, the two point conversion against the Saints, uh, they beat the Ravens in the last second. You know, I mean, off a point. Like, yeah. This the this Raiders team this year is on the other side of the spectrum from the Raiders last year where they were losing close games, and now they're winning those close games. Yeah, and this is a Raiders team that is flawed. Oh, and, yeah, they are. But I think, lucky. I think they're feisty and they're fun. And I uh, I think they, they – uh, you, if you're a Raiders fan, okay, you got to look at where – for building – looking long-term, you've got your quarterback, and that seems to be perfectly entrenched. You've got your top two receivers, at least for now. I don't know how many years Crabtree has in him, but looks good for now. And, you know, like if you can just get the defense to start to really kind of put some pieces together and they have some young pieces, you know, I, I think this team's built for the long term to be really nice. Yeah, they, they definitely need another corner. And I don't. Mean, I, I think that's. I think that's got to be your first round pick yeah, going into this yeah. year. Uh, there's honestly, there's there's actually a couple of pretty nice corners coming up. Particularly, you know, the first one that comes to mind is Tabor. Um, but um, I think that they need a corner. I know a lot of people like Bruce Irving, but you need to get a guy every down going up against the you know like um Barnett or, or Air, Anderson. I can't remember his name from Tennessee. That pass rusher because obviously Miles Garrett's going to be gone early. Um, but I think you keep building that defense. I think the offense is set. You know. The only thing I could say is if like Fournette or Dalvin Cook's there, take them. Nah, maybe I, I think I think especially how deep this this next draft is going to be a running back. You can get get your guy in like the third round. Yeah, and, and they they need to get a running back too because I mean Latavius Murray has not played that well. So I think, uh, but yeah, the big thing's the corner. But we can move on. Um, the next we- game we have are the New York G Men against the Pack Attack and. Because they're your division rival, you have them. So tell me about them. Yeah, uh, sloppy game. That's uh, that's kind of the first point. Um, you know, so this was a game where uh, not a great showing by Aaron Rodgers, who had two interceptions, both of which were by Janoris Jenkins. Um, so okay, so He's the Giants like a receiver playing corner. The Giants are getting some of their money's worth that they gave to Janoris Jenkins. Um, so one of them was off a deflection. So I'm not necessarily like killing Rogers for that one, but the other one was just a bad throw. The other one was Rogers was rolling out to his right, kind of throws across his body, puts it right in the hands of Norris Jenkins, who did have to kind of dive for it. But you know, just you can't make that play if you're Aaron Rodgers. You're the best quarterback in the league. Play like it. Um, you know, uh, so then, you know, on the other side, uh, man, so 
Ben McAdoo was made the head coach of the New York Giants when Tom Coughlin retired for one reason, and that was because they really liked what Ben McAdoo was doing on offense, and they wanted to maintain that continuity and that consistency, um, and they didn't want Ben McAdoo to leave for one of the other head coaching jobs in the league. Um, well, that's just not working out. The Giants offense looks like a disjointed mess this year. And listen, I don't know if there's too many teams in the league that wouldn't trade their current wide receiver core for what the Giants have. Like, am I wrong? Uh, the only teams that I can't think of off the top of my or the only teams, excuse me, that I could think of off the top of my head would be, like I said, Green Bay or uh, uh, Pittsburgh. Maybe, but, maybe Atlanta. Yo, but even then, Sterling Shepard's better than Mohamed Sanu. And maybe, maybe the Raiders. But yeah, the Raiders. But, you know, like... Yeah, I think even, you know, like, I don't know, if I'm Green Bay, I, I might make that trade for, you know, for these wide receivers. Because I think, you know, like, Cobb and Nelson have underperformed. But Well, Jordy's had a couple of nice games, just not this week. Well, and and in previous games, I think he's still scrappy, but he's not the, he's not, uh, he's lost a step. And, I and you know, like Cobb had a pretty nice game today, but he showed pretty inconsistent. Uh, he's inconsistent, especially when he has to kind of carry the load as kind of the more number one. But still, regardless... You know, like you have Odell Beckham and you have uh, Victor Cruz and Sterling Shepard looks good and just just aren't performing. And I think it's I think Eli Manning hasn't played well this year for the most part. But you look at okay, so uh, abysmal game against the Saints, uh, abysmal game against the Vikings, and a really bad game against the Packers. And this is showing a consistent narrative here where okay, so I get that you're getting nothing out of your running game, and that's fine. But you have to get more out of your passing game that was going to be so highly touted coming into this year. And it's just showing that, I don't know, the Giants are middling. Um, and that's a problem. And meanwhile. Yeah. And the other thing was a lot of pundits had um, uh, Eli as like a dark horse MVP candidate. Well, and, and not even, I thought there was a chance that Eli could lead the league in touchdowns when you just looked at the talent at receiver he had. But it's just not working out. And it's just not, and it's it's showing you know, like there's a problem in the play calling and there's a problem in the offensive execution, um, because especially, you know, like the Giants got in the red zone, but they couldn't come away with touchdowns. Like there was, they settled for field goals three times tonight, and you know, so it, uh, wrapping things up, you know, like the Packers, you know, didn't look especially impressive, but they got a win at home, which they needed against uh, kind of a middling Giants team. These are the games that you have to win. And it would have been nice if, I'm a, if you're a Packers fan to look better doing it. Uh, but for the most part, you know, pretty, pretty solid game overall. But so moving on to the last game on our slate, Monday Night Football, uh, where the uh, Bucks took on the Panthers. You mean the Bucks took on Greg Olson? Yeah. Uh, talk about a crazy game for Greg Olson, who... Uh, was kind of a monster today. You know, he had 180 yards on a, on nine catches. Um, but so uh, this was an interesting game looking at it from the angle of, okay, so we haven't talked about it much on this show because uh, kickers don't exactly move the needle for either Rob and I. Um, but okay. Roberto Aguayo. Uh looked like that pick was going to be doomed from the start when you just take a kicker that high. That's so much pressure. That is a lot to put on a guy who, yeah, we watch Berto here at Florida State. Rob even watched him in high school because his, uh, his high school played a few games against uh, against Roberto Aguayo. Uh, but so Roberto Aguayo is 
great and I loved him here, but that is a ton of pressure to put on a guy in the second round. And you know, when you take a kicker in the second round, you're not asking for him to just be average. He has to be all pro if you're going to take him that high. And that's a lot of expectations. And so far, he's been pretty dreadful overall for the Bucks. And I think it's just because it's in his head. Because we, we saw in college him make kick after kick after kick after kick. And he was just one of the more mentally tough and one of the best kickers. He, I mean, he's arguably, you know, like, when you look at his season in 2013, he was the best kicker in college football history. Um, but, man, so then he comes into this and he shanked some incredibly makeable field goals in this game. And this was not necessarily a situation where the wind was that crazy. Uh, though it was palpable to an extent. Gano missed uh, one or two of them as well. Um, but so this was kind of the narrative where, okay, so Jameis Winston played well, he, uh, really did execute the way that the Bucks needed him to. Um, and Jaquiz Rogers was kind of a star of this game where, okay, it looks like they really got what they needed out of that signing. Um, especially while they're waiting to get Doug Martin back. But, uh, you know, at the end of it, it came down to, okay, to win the game, we need Roberto Aguirre to make this field goal. And it wasn't like it was some monster distance. You know, it was like 38 yards. But still, t- Berto puts it up and he gets the game winner, which I think, it's you know, like, confidence. yeah, getting that walk-off winner, having the whole team lift him up, everyone's pumped up. That was a big deal. And I think if there is going to be a shift in this Roberto Aguayo narrative and if he is going to kind of salvage his career in Tampa – um, which not not necessarily saying that I'm looking only for five games in, and it's not. I mean? I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to get cut because first off, he's owed too much money to get cut. But yo, know, whether or not he was going to get benched, whether or not this is going to be a problem, if it's going to happen, I think it's going to a game winner is going to be the thing that kind of shifts that whole moment, that momentum in his career. But uh, still, it was a big deal. Um, meanwhile, uh, Greg Olson, I think, is the second best player on or second best offensive player on Carolina's roster behind cam newton greg olson is awesome he was awesome last year he was awesome in this game um and uh you know nine catches for 181 yards is uh is nuts he was their best he was the focal point of their offense um and you know like i think this is about as good a game as carolina fans could have hoped to get out of Derek anderson um i think you're hoping to get cam back as soon as you can but you know like Derek anderson played for the most part what you expected uh other than you know, he did have that one backbreaker that he threw to Grimes in the end zone where you really needed to come away with points of some kind. And uh, instead, you throw the red zone interception. That's pretty killer. Um, but for the most part, I think it was a fine game by him. And I think you have to be excited by what you saw out of Cameron Arner's pain, the running back oh, yeah. out of uh, out of Auburn, who had a pretty nice day. Um, and uh, they really leaned on him in this game. And he was, uh, he was pretty productive. Um, and... You know, if you're looking for someone to kind of take that job from Jonathan Stewart long term, I think Artis Payne could could do it. Um, but overall, uh, I think the Bucks really needed this win. And man, the Panthers fall to one and four. And I think you have to consider them probably mostly out of the playoff picture at this point. I don't really know if there is unless they were to really dominate the rest of the year. I don't know if there's a scenario where the Panthers could really pull their way back um, because they're, you know, I think they're mostly out of the NSC wildcard picture 
And with the way Atlanta looks, I don't really know if there is a chance for them to really catch up. Um, but you never know. They're, they're, they're still a good – there's a lot of football to be played, but they need to ride the ship like yesterday if they're going to uh, really kind of establish themselves as a, as a real team and a real contender. Um, but, uh, you know, so from the NFC South perspective, Rob, uh, do you have any takeaways from this game? I mean, this game didn't really matter, I guess, to me as a Saints fan, because either way, one team was winning, one team was losing. You know what I mean? They both had the same record. So it was just a matter of who do I, I mean, if I had to pick a team, I would have guess preferred Carolina to win just because of how bad they've been. So they're probably easier to kind of get past than Tampa is. But I mean, when you really look at this game, I was looking at it like I, ex- I think without Cam Newton being there, it was Tampa's game to lose. Like, you know what I mean? Even though it wasn't Carolina, like you can't take away, like you said, the best offensive player on that team and the most important position at that. And then say, Hey, you better win this game. Like, you just can't expect that out of them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, but so uh, with that, that wraps up uh, week five in the NFL. Um, so uh, Rob and I just want to thank you for listening. And also, you know, like looking ahead at uh, week six, uh, be sure to check out our uh, prediction pod. That's uh, that's come up right after this one in the feed. Uh, but, you know, like this was a pretty interesting week uh, where I think it was a lot of competitive games and uh, looking ahead. Um, you know, Rob, have you ever coached or played, uh, collegiate or pro football? I wish I did. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, because then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe then Jen wouldn't be asking what I'm going to do to make her money in the future. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, right now I don't know what that's going to be. Uh, you know what? We're, uh, we're not coaches. We're not players. We're fans and we're two dudes in a football. And, uh, we just want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at two dudes football. That's at the number two dudes football. And, uh, also, uh, be sure to follow us on, uh, Facebook, um, on our Facebook profile. That's two dudes in a football NFL podcast. Also write us some five-star reviews because if you write a five-star review, then we'll read it on the air and we really appreciate it as we kind of get our, uh, kind of our profile out there. It's a big help. Um, and with that, we wish your teams plenty of luck in this next week, provided you're not playing any of ours. And uh, have a good night, everyone.